episode 177 of Board Game Blitz, a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to find that thing in your house that you stashed in a really safe place, but now you have no idea where that safe place is. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we are talking about house rules. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, Tiny Turbo Cars and The Great Split. Then, we talk about when and how you should make your own rules for a board game. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal. As we mentioned in our last episode, we are hosting a meetup at Dice Tower West, which is just a couple of weeks away now. So we haven't nailed down all of the details, but we do know now that it is going to be a Tabletop Live Network group meetup. So all of the Tabletop Live Network people that are going to be at the con are going to be there, and we're inviting everybody who's a fan of the Tabletop Live Network to attend. We don't know what we're going to do at the meetup. I don't know if there's (laughs) going to be food or games or activities, probably all of the above, but we haven't nailed down the details quite yet. But it is going to be Friday at 2 p.m. So that's Friday, March 10th at 2 p.m. Pacific time, which is obviously in the time zone of the convention. And yeah, so mark that on your calendar if you're going to be at Dice Tower West, because that will be a guaranteed way to hang out with us and all of the other amazing members of the Tabletop Live Network. Yeah. And also, if you're going to be at Dice Tower West, I will have my book Board Game Day there. So if you are interested in a copy of Board Game Day, you can buy it at the Dice Tower booth in the Exhibitor Hall. And I will also be there. I think it's not like finalized yet, but I'm thinking Saturday, 1 to 4 p.m. I will be at the booth to like sign books or whatever. <laughs> I have signed oh a couple copies Oh my god, it's famous author Ampie Valdez! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, I need to work on my signature, but, like, I've signed a couple copies so far. I gave one to our preschool, and then they had me sign it. I was like, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so I I have a cool signature ready for it. (laughs) Perfect. I know, that's, like, that's the key when you're signing books, right? You got to make a cool-looking signature. Yeah. Recently, I got a review copy of Tiny Turbo Cars, which is a racing slash puzzle game, I guess, published by Horrible Guild in 2022. So Tiny Turbo Cars, it's a two to four player game. It's like 30 minute game, but your race cars, your I guess your tiny race cars is the theme because there's like obstacles in their path which are like stuffed animals and stuff like that so your tiny turbo cars there's a racetrack and you're trying to like go across and be the first to cross the finish line but the way you move is like programmable movement so you're like programming actions but the way you're programming actions like moving and jumping and moving left and right the way you're programming it is through a slide puzzle so it's a 15 square slide puzzle thing like those puzzles that you slide around and get the numbers 1 through 15 in order or like pictures so like each block has a different action on it like move forward one space or move diagonally one space or shoot a missile or something and then you're doing a slide puzzle in real time so whoever like does the slide puzzle first gets to go first and then whoever like finishes last gets a penalty and loses a life (laughs) and then you're only actually it's not doing the whole slide puzzle for the actions it's only the middle two lines so you're like doing those and then you do those actions and then you run into things and then whatever take damage and then you continue going i really liked the concept of this but i think in execution it didn't work out too well so i played it twice once at four players and once at two players but the first time we played we actually kind of played wrong because you're supposed to mix up the slide puzzle and pass it to the next person each turn 
So like you get like a more scrambled slide puzzle, but we didn't do that. <laughs> so then we like the slide puzzle part wasn't wasn't happening as much the first time we played. But then I played it again at two players and we played it by the correct rules this time. But it's still like the slide puzzle part I didn't like as much as I thought I would because I like doing the slide puzzles usually. But like the, the slide puzzles in this, they didn't move around that nicely. <laughs> like it was kind of hard to actually move the slide pieces. So that got frustrating. And then if you're trying to like get something in the spot, it's actually harder for me to do the middle two rows than like the top for me. Cause like when I solved a slide puzzle, I would usually do it in order from the top to the bottom. And so it's hard for me to get like something in the middle row. <laughs> and then it's like, wait, shoot, it's in the top. I need to move it down. And that's harder for me to do than like moving something from the bottom up. Yeah. But yeah. So, and then like the actual game part, when, when someone gets ahead, there's, there's a slight catch up mechanic where you get a shield if you're behind people, but then like, it still felt like it was really hard to catch up to someone if they're, unless they make mistakes and stuff, because if you get damaged a lot, if you get three, your three health all damaged, then you kind of skip three actions and healing back up, but you can heal as an action sometimes. But like, if that person doesn't get damaged enough to like have to do that a lot and you're behind then it's kind of hard to catch up so but it's a quick game so I guess like I didn't enjoy it that much but I guess you might if you like the theme of racing <laughs> tiny turbo cars the theme is, is cute and uh, actually my, my toddler really likes it <laughs> so is it, is it essentially like hot wheels or micro machines is what they're kind of trying to emulate I guess yeah tiny turbo cars yeah but like there's little people in them <laughs> so oh. like living like like hot wheels that actually work and um, and have tiny humans in them yeah okay and they each have different powers too so there's like eight cars in there and you get a different car with a different power but like there's little meeple cars so like little wooden car tokens that have screen printed car details on it which is kind of cute and then the controllers themselves look like remote controls so maybe it's like the remote cars oh remote yeah yeah. Cars. yeah that makes more sense i actually like, <laughs> I actually dated somebody that was very into RC car racing. Oh. Like they weren't the teeny tiny ones. They were like, Oh, like the big ones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like kind of <laughs> like, I don't know, but like bread, loaf of bread sized ish. Mm. But what was funny is my boyfriend at the time who was into those bought me a teeny tiny remote controlled car that was like really <laughs> small. And I loved so that's, that that's thing. That's what this game is. <laughs> okay. But, but yeah, it's because the, the slide puzzle thing, it's shaped like a controller and then it has like the slide puzzle inside it. So that's kind of cool. I like, I like the idea of the components and stuff and it looks cool, like the theme together, but the slide puzzle itself didn't work. I got frustrated by moving it around. It, it worked fine, but not as nicely as I would like it. <laughs> but I guess like everyone's having the same problem. So, but yeah, my kid really likes the cars. So he, he really likes playing with the things. But I, I didn't like the game as much as I wanted to. So that was Tiny Turbo Cars. Well, I did not know that you were going to be reviewing a game from Horrible Guild tonight. And I am as well. So apparently <laughs> oh. we're all Horrible Guild. Thankfully, I guess, well, I, don't, I, I wouldn't. If we were both talking about games we weren't keen on, I think that would be more of a bummer. But spoiler alert, that will not be the case. <laughs> Yay. So recently, a friend brought over a game from Horrible Guild that was released in 2022, designed by Hjalmar Hawk and Lorenzo Silva. And that is The Great Split. 
So, Amby, before I describe the great split to you and to our listeners, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a question that is kind of rhetorical, but kind of not. You'll, you'll understand when I say this. But, like, have mm-hmm. you ever been listening to a board game podcast and you're listening to someone describe a game and you're realizing halfway through that you have absolutely no idea how the game works based on what they're saying? Well, <laughs> probably, yes. A lot of okay, times I'm not so, fully paying attention, though, so that's on me. <laughs> okay, true, true. But there are... I would say there are some board games that are more difficult mm-hmm. to explain in an audio format than others. Yeah. The Great Split is kind of one of those. That is not a bad thing about the game, but I'm not going to give you the whole thing. I'm going to be very abstracted about some of the stuff mm-hmm. because there is no way I can describe it accurately in an audio format, but I'm going to give you the good stuff, like the important things. So mm-hmm. in The Great Split, which plays up to seven players, which is an important distinction because mm-hmm. not a lot of games allow for a player count that large. Mm-hmm. What's going to be happening is players are going to be given a hand of cards at the beginning of each round and you have a little wallet and you're going to split your cards that you've been given into two groups using a separator to separate the two groups. You put them into your wallet and then you pass them to the player on your left. Every player is doing the same thing at the same time. Then you receive a wallet from someone and you look at the cards and how they've split them up and you choose one of the groups. So this is an I split you choose type of game. And what's neat is you, so you get to pick one section of the cards from the player on your right, and then you, everybody passes the wallets back, and you now get to keep the cards that your, the person on your left didn't choose. So in like, in most I split you choose scenarios, obviously you don't want to make one group significantly better than the other because you're going to get what's left over. But the hand sizes are relatively small to start, only five cards, and then eventually you can get six or seven theoretically in your hand as the course of the game progresses. What those cards are giving you are the ability to move up on different tracks on your player board. These tracks represent a whole bunch of different things that I'm not going to describe, but it's kind of one of those games that has that really neat combo-y feel. Like, if you move up on this track, you Mm -hmm. unlock a thing that allows you to move up on another track or to move two spaces on any track kind of thing. So you're moving on tracks to make other tracks move, and then different colored tracks will score at different points throughout the game based on some randomly drawn tokens at the beginning of the game. So you'll know when certain areas are going to score. All of them will score at the end of the game, but in the midst of it, there will be rounds where some of them score and some of them don't. And the cards affect all of the tracks in different ways and the tracks all score in different ways. But again, in abstract, really hard to describe that. It's one of those games that like you're looking at the board and you're like, this doesn't look that exciting. Literally, we were like five or ten minutes into my first game of this, and I was like, I love this. Like, instantly. (laughs) I just, sometimes you just know. And I do really like I Split You Choose as a mechanism, Mm -hmm. and this game just does it so well. It feels really satisfying to kind of combo things together and get, you know, maxed out on something and score really well for it. I like the variable setup things. I like that it seems you can kind of focus in on a couple of things or try and do everything a little bit equally. Honestly, this one just super fun. And Ambie and I were talking before the episode and I realized that Lorenzo Silva is one of the designers. And so I clicked over to his page on Board Game Geek and I'm looking at games 
games that he is listed as a designer on. And I've played a bunch of them and love a bunch of them. And now I'm like, wow, I guess maybe I should look into other games Lorenzo Silva has designed and uh, play them because I apparently really like his stuff. So I know I didn't give you the, the deep details, but if you like I Split You Choose and you like the feeling of comboing things in a game, I can pretty easily say this is one you should look into and I'm really enjoying it. I don't own my own copy yet, but that is something I will be rectifying soon. So yeah, that's The Great Split from Horrible Guild. Cool. Do you always pass the same way when you're doing the splitting? Yes, interestingly. You always pass to your left and receive back from your right. Yeah, to, from the player on. Well, yeah, from. Yeah, <laughs> it's always the same direction and then back. The reason for that is because. Well, I, I guess technically I don't know the reason for that. We assume <laughs> the reason for that is because if you were going back and forth, I think you'd be more likely to see the same cards over and over again, theoretically. Whereas if you're always passing to the left, then like theoretically the cards that you started with are more likely to cycle around the table as they theoretically get chosen. Like it's not a guarantee, right? You're always receiving near half of them back depending. But I believe the, yeah, the same direction is intended to make sure that cards are continuing to move. And so if you're playing a six or seven player game, the cards that are across the table from you still have a chance to get to you throughout the course of the game. Because there's a lot of different rounds. I don't remember how many rounds it was, but it's a lot. Oh, okay. So, But they don't all get like, you don't take them all each turn, like to use them? Well, you do. You And then they you, they go right back into the wallet. You some you sometimes draw oh, new oh. cards into your hand. But all uh-huh. the cards in play stay in play. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so like the, your your starting hand of cards, it I was wondering oh, okay. how samey it would feel, and stuff mm-hmm. was switching out pretty regularly. I was like, oh, you got must have gotten that from the person on your right, and mm-hmm. he got something from over here. So <laughs> yeah, it felt like cool. cards were cycling around at like in a decent way. Like I didn't feel like I was missing anything in particular. Like they're you know sometimes obviously you open up a wallet and you're like I don't want any of this crap. <laughs> this is not what I was looking for at all or you like there were definitely times when I would split mine up and I'm like he's definitely gonna take this half and then I would get my wallet back and I'm like you took the other half (laughs) but yeah it I it's just it was so much fun for me I'm sure not there would be people that would bounce off of this one immediately the theme is not super present in this one which usually is important for me but not in this game I love it Mm -hmm. even though the theme is not super uh vibrant Cool. Yeah, I haven't played that many I split you choose things, I think. I haven't either. Every yeah. single one I've played, though, I've liked. Yeah, so. yeah. it's always an interesting mechanic. Mm-hmm. Over the years we've been doing this podcast, we've definitely touched on rules in games in a number of different ways. And Ambie and I were talking and we weren't sure how deeply we've covered house rules. Like we've definitely talked about how you should play by the rules of a game, but what <laughs> if- Now we're going to backtrack. <laughs> well, because like, what if that isn't possible? As much as we adore board game designers and game developers and game publishers, occasionally something slips through the cracks and you might be playing a game and run into a situation where the rule book isn't quite clear enough or is too hard to understand and you're in the midst of a game, and what do you do at that point? Mm. In that case, yes, house rules are good. Well, I mean, I, I also sometimes do house rules even when it's not unclear or when it is clear. 
<laughs> but but yes yeah if, if you're not sure usually we just pick something <laughs> or like this sounds right <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an interesting <laughs> dilemma, right? Because sometimes you have something to go off of, like another rule in the same game or a different game yeah, that, different you know, game. is like you can bring your knowledge from outside games into it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you kind of just have to make a judgment call. And yeah. so it's a matter of, okay, so what can we, what decision can we make that would be the most fair? And mm -hmm. that can be really tough if the misunderstanding of the rule has already affected the game to some degree. So mm -hmm. for instance, a time when I tend to house rule games is when a rule error has occurred. So not necessarily yeah. that we didn't understand a rule, but we just either didn't know about it or got it wrong. And we realize halfway through the game, everyone mm -hmm. has been playing this thing wrong. <laughs> At yeah. that point, in most cases, I will, I mean, obviously I'll confer with the table, but I'll say, okay, for this game, we are continuing with the wrong rule because we've all been playing by it already. And often changing mid-game could affect how players mm -hmm. would have played previously or would be able to do other things. So I tend to try and keep the bad rule in place, at least temporarily. But sometimes there are times when the rule hasn't affected the game yet and you just realize you have to make a decision and so then it's like do you go with majority rules do you allow the owner of the game to make the judgment call do you you know like what are like what are the best ways like how do you I make everybody this happy has happened enough to me in like a serious game for it to, because usually especially recently I mentioned last week that we mostly play party games so in there it's just like okay yeah we're just gonna play like this because this is how we're enjoying it <laughs> or it doesn't yeah. matter that much. Yeah, party games are definitely heavily house ruled sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or if it's like a cooperative game, then we kind of come to a consensus usually. But I, I can't think of a time recently where it's been like an actual rule that affected the scoring in a competitive game <laughs> where we didn't come to a consensus. Usually I think it's just like, okay, yeah, it's usually when someone's playing the rule wrong. So I don't, I don't know about if someone hasn't played the rule wrong yet. How would that even come up that you realize? Like that, maybe that... like you hit a point in the game where something happens mm -hmm. and you're like, wait, how does this work? And you look it up mm -hmm. and you don't understand. Like the nobody in oh, the group okay. quite understands what a thing means, but you have to make a decision. Then, then I guess we just discuss and decide what we think makes sense thematically sometimes or like based on what else is in the game i guess also sometimes like someone thinks a certain rule is gonna go some way but then it it's not <laughs> oh that has so definitely then, happened yeah. before i tend in those situations I, a i generally try and be kind right like you don't want to just say, oh, sorry, person B, you're screwed because you misunderstood something. But, you know, if, if everybody else has been playing it correctly and yeah. we know that the rule was taught at some point, right, either mm -hmm. in the rules explanation or throughout the course of the game. Like now, if you know something wasn't mentioned, like let's say a lot of the players already knew how to play. And so we did a quick rules teach and new player that's sitting there wasn't told about a thing. Mm -hmm. Then it's like, okay, so how do we apply? What do we do here? <laughs> yeah. If they misunderstood, but we had extra knowledge that they didn't. Yeah. There's a lot of really interesting <laughs> situations that can pop up, right? And at the end of the day, they are board games. They yeah. you know, are not, they're not life and death decisions. We recognize that all of this that we're, you know, arguing here in the grand scheme of life, they're not important. Yeah. But 
players are often at least mildly competitive and Mm -hmm. rule discrepancies can affect the outcome of a game too. So if there are players who, even if they're nice about it, they care about winning, then you want to kind of try and make sure that it's at least fair for everyone. And Mm -hmm. what fair means can vary, I think, based on the situation. Yeah, the hardest is if people disagree on what they thought the house rule was or like if they had already been working towards two separate interpretations of the rule. Yeah, (laughs) I think that has happened to me before. Yeah, I can't think of a specific instance like off the top of my head, but I feel Mm -hmm. like there have been situations where two people were operating off of different interpretations of a rule and picking one way or the other would positively affect one and negatively affect the other. And that's a tough, that's a tough situation to be in. (laughs) I think maybe for that, you could just use both. (laughs) (laughs) Right, like that's kind of one of those things. You can use this version and you can use this version, sure. (laughs) Right, like what's in the best interest of the group, the game, like Mm -hmm. you kind of have to, yeah, play that by ear. And obviously it's helpful if you know the people in the game and you know their Mm -hmm. personalities and can talk with them but theoretically this could also happen in like a public setting at a game meetup Mm -hmm. or at a game convention and I I think for me I don't know about you but unless it is a game that I know really well Mm -hmm. and this is this would apply to very few games that I have ever (laughs) played but like I think I would tend to sit back and be quiet which is not a thing I do often most of you probably realize that I talk a lot (laughs) I'm not quiet often, but if other people are arguing about something, I will try and be that person that like sneakily grabs the rule book and like quietly (laughs) thumbs through it to be like, please, please be in here, be in here. Because sometimes it is buried, right? Somewhere that you can find Mm -hmm. the the answer. And if you can just be like, here and point to it, like people can't argue with it if it's in the rule book. So I will be that person that's like desperately trying to find it to see if it exists. Yeah, I do. I do look through the rule book sometimes for it. I can't think of it like a time recently where people have been arguing about the rules, but we do like look up rules often for clarifications. But yeah, if it's yeah. if it's one of those times where the rule book is ambiguous or like the wording is can be ambiguous and they interpreted multiple ways, then it's then it's a lot harder. And yeah. then I mean, you could just like go on board Game Geek and search for stuff, but that becomes a time sink. <laughs> I mean, we tend, my group does do that. If we have a question and it kind of is game breaking to some degree, (laughs) we will often check the BGG forums for that game and just like scroll through the forum titles and be like, did anybody else ask this question? And honestly, more often than not, when my group has a question like Mm -hmm. that, there is a post that exists about it already. Yeah. Like somebody else had the same question at some point. And I want to be clear that this is not a criticism of... The people who make these games because even with the most robust you know play testing blind play testing everything else there are things that some like situations or edge cases that can really just slip through the cracks and the more complex a game the i would say the more likely some kind of a discrepancy or piece of something that's not clear is more likely to appear yeah so you you tend to play well obviously you've been playing a lot of party games more <laughs> more recently but i would say mm-hmm. In our gaming histories, you have leaned toward more heavier and complex games than I have, typically. Mm-hmm. Are the rule books for those more complex games harder to understand and digest just because the game is more complex? Or do you find and do you see any differences in rule books between like 
the easier games and the heavier games. Does that make any sense? Well, I, I mean, it depends on who wrote the rulebook a lot of times too. Okay. The heavier games, I think a lot of them have more in the rulebook. So it, sometimes it's it's more clear in the rulebook for the heavier games. Whereas like the lighter games, they might not have all of the edge cases and things that might come up because it's like a lighter game. and it, Or like at least in party games, sometimes it doesn't have like everything in there. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> those are the extremes that I'm at right now. Party games versus 18xx right. or something. But then like <laughs> in like an 18xx games, it's got like all these subsections, like everything bold pointed out with all all the things that could happen kind of so um it would have most of those questions that come up i think so it might just be hard to understand because it's just complex right <laughs> and so it might be like worded hard hard to understand or like if you haven't played one before then it's like what's going on but it might have all of the rules in the rule book yeah so you said that you kind of play some party games with house rules. I know I do the mm-hmm. same. Like, for yeah. instance, games like Just One. Like, I do know how to play Just One by the rules. You take the 13 cards and you make a little pile. And mm-hmm. then once you go through the pile, you're done. I almost never do that, though, when I play Just One. We usually just grab a big honking stack of cards and we play until we don't want to play anymore. Because, <laughs> I mean, you can keep score, but, I, like, especially since it's 13 and I tend to play at the highest player count, which is seven, that means Mm -hmm. there's at least one person who only gets to be the guesser once. And that to me doesn't (laughs) feel as satisfying, right? Like you want Mm -hmm. everybody to go at least twice. If not, probably, I would say three times would be good. But are there any other games specifically that you can think of that you have house rules for that you almost always use? So outside of party games, actually like 18xx games, the <laughs> I think in the rules for a lot of them, money is hidden or like not open knowledge, but like almost everyone I know plays with money as open information. So that's, I guess, a house rule that, that <laughs> everyone plays with. Also uh, Paris Connection or, or other games, some games with hidden trackable information, we play where the trackable information, we, we unhide it sometimes depending on who we're playing with. So like in Paris okay. Connection, you start with hidden shares and that's hidden still. But like when you trade out shares, you can trade in one for two and people see what you take. We just put those in front of the hidden screen because people oh. can like remember what colors people took. So you're basically leveling the playing field for people who for people have who don't a, le- like well. not as good yeah. of a short term memory, basically. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that's kind of neat because, yeah, there are, you know, people I've played with in various games who just... Yeah, like in any game with a memory aspect, there are some (laughs) people who are just like, the second that card is in the stack, I have no idea what it is anymore. (laughs) And there are some people who are like, oh, I know every card and what order and, you know, there's... it's, it's interesting because like that gives those players an, an advantage and whether that advantage is unfair or not could probably be debated. But mm-hmm. like it, it doesn't feel fun to know that the reason a person is beating you is because they have a better short term memory. Right. Like that doesn't yeah. seem fun. <laughs> and then also like when I'm playing, like I don't want to spend my energy remembering things like I can remember stuff if I concentrate on it. But then like I want to focus on the rest of the game because for me, it's not fun to try to remember that I don't like memorizing stuff yeah no I I mean I'm sure there are people who enjoy it but I would imagine they're the minority probably I don't know everybody come to our uh, discord and tell me if you really like memorizing things I would love to hear from anyone who loves to memorize stuff please please come post in the discord because that'll be a fun discussion to have and I think we touched on this in a prior episode when we were talking about like how to play by the rules but you know there are certain games that have kind of become notorious for their house rules. Obviously, I would say probably the most famous of which is Monopoly, 
They're, mm-hmm. you know, it is sometimes fun to be that person who tells someone, did you know there's no money that's supposed to go under free parking ever for any reason? <laughs> like, and people are like, no, no, that's not true. And I'm like, yes, it is. Like, <laughs> yeah, just free I mean, parking, not pay you to park. <laughs> okay, but answer me this, Andy. How does everyone I don't play know. that rule the I same way, but it's wrong? How? Like, Did someone do it what, on like a TV show or something? Maybe I don't. Know. I don't. Well, I don't remember ever watching people play Monopoly on a show yeah. though. Like I remember being taught Monopoly well, when I was a kid, and yeah. like either the internet technically existed when I was a kid, but not in any real accessible way. So like, it's not like I could have learned it through something like that. But I, I think if you even mention that rule to anyone, they know what it is, even if they have never played by it. So how, <laughs> how is something like that? Is it one of those Berenstain bear things maybe where it's like an alternate <laughs> universe where that was the rule and we all just think like, oh yeah, no, it's Berenstain, not Berenstein. Cause I tell you what, every time I see the words, the word Berenstain bears, it drives me bananas. Cause I would have sworn up and down that it was Berenstain bears. <laughs> Like yeah. you, I would have bet money on it. And then I learned about the Mandala effect and my mind exploded. So if you don't know what that is, I will encourage you to Google it because it's fun to learn about. It will also kind of throw you for a loop. So did you play Monopoly by the correct rules when you were growing up? When I was growing up, no, I did not. But Toby did. That's why he okay. knows how to play. <laughs> but yeah, like we had the free parking thing. And then what else? I feel like we had something else. But I don't know if it's just like a rule that was made so that kids would get more money or something. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but that makes the game longer, which makes it yeah. worse, which is the thing that people well, complain I mean, the kids about. Like so... playing with... I liked playing with the money. So for me, like yeah. the length of the game as a kid didn't matter. We, we would actually like pause midway through and then like play again in another day so like the length didn't matter to me I was just playing banker and I liked playing banker so what's interesting I'm now realizing so we definitely owned the Monopoly board game and played it but I also Mm -hmm. owned for the Nintendo the original Nintendo I owned Monopoly there was a Nintendo cartridge Mm. for Monopoly oh yeah I think you mentioned this before yeah, you could play with other people or with the AI. And I definitely played that game a lot. And it would have played by the correct rules. Mm-hmm. But I don't ever remember having that moment of realization of, oh, when I pay luxury tax, it's not going under free parking. Mm-hmm. Like, I never made that connection somehow. You'd think I would have been like, oh, this isn't how we play it at home. <laughs> like, I yeah, don't know. Yes. I guess in kid brain world, it probably didn't matter. <laughs> also for me, like digital games, it's harder to keep track of what's going on. So maybe like, you just didn't That's realize. I mean, was I was probably watching the fun little, because uh, in the, the game, like the little pieces, you know, like oh, jumped from space to space. And stuff. Yeah. yeah, fun animations <laughs> and things like that. So that's yeah. probably what That I also doesn't happen on. in your game at home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can make the little piece. First off, what is your Monopoly piece of choice? This I must know. Oh, I, I did the horse as a kid. Okay, I was always the dog. And I, this will surprise no one, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what my sister always played as. I can't remember. I should send her a message and ask her because I don't remember what her piece of choice was. I wonder if she would have chosen the dog, but since I was the older sister, I definitely would have never let her. So, <laughs> Because I was a jerk, you know, older sisters and whatnot. 
So coming back around, obviously house rules can be very beneficial. They can be divisive. They can be fun for children who want to play a very long game of Monopoly. (laughs) But I would love to hear from our listeners, what house rules do you play with with your games? What house rules have you played with since you were a kid or that you've learned recently or that you implemented one time? If you have any house rule stories, hit us up on social media or in the Board Game Blitz Discord. Link is in the show notes and let us know what house rules you've been using. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for more content and links. This episode was sponsored by Grey Fox Games. Get excited because the Gods and Prophets expansion to Reapers of Midgard is coming soon. In it, you'll encounter new obstacles, and the gods will offer their aid to those willing to celebrate them with offerings of riches. And don't forget, you can get 10% off your entire order at greyfoxgames.com, including promos, exclusives, and upgrades not available anywhere else. Just use the code BGBLITZ2023 at checkout. Join the Blitzketeer community on Discord for game nights, discussions, and more by following the link in the show notes. Support the show by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. And if you want behind-the-scenes access, access to our private Discord channel, shoutouts, and more, visit ko-fi.com slash boardgameblitz today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provider, Toby Mao. Until next time. Oh, game night even happens when it's raining. Meeples always love you when you're playing. Bye, everyone. Bye. Oh, I'm first. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm you know, just, just for the past 176 episodes, <laughs> it's not like... <laughs> okay.